It is a dark November in 1987, and with the Michaelmas term drawing to an end at Oxford University, Britain is still reeling from the October hurricane. And after a summer backpacking in Peru, Ben is on the final year of his studies, living off campus in Jericho, next door to the Lucy Ironworks. With friends as roommates and a new girlfriend living across the other side of the city, Doctor Who was the last thing on his mind. This is a flashback Metabulous 2 podcast on Dragonfire. It was a theme she had on a scheme he had, told in a foreign land. To take life on earth to the second birth, and the man was in command. It was a flight on the wings of a young girl's dreams that flew into a fire. There you go, everybody. There's an introduction. Welcome to uh, episode 105. Yes. Of the. Thank you. I got it right. <laughs> episode 105 of the Metabilis 2 podcast. And as the introduction might imply, we are going to look through, uh, review the career of Ace. Yes. This is the Dorothy kickoff McShane. of Ace. I'm David, and he is Ben. Absolutely. And we are going to try to remember back to the 1980s when. Neither one of us were that into Doctor Who. <laughs> Just basing off the uh, some que- you know that question we had the other week about like why are we watching it if we don't like it? Um, right. Well, we kind of have to. We have a podcast, so this is this is this will be an interesting process for me because by and large I didn't watch pretty much any of this on broadcast um, for right. reasons that will probably become clear as we start to, to talk mm-hmm. about, well, I mean, you had a reason right there. Like, it was November. I was in my last year of, like, trying to get a history degree. Mm-hmm. I was living with a bunch of people who didn't really like Doctor Who that much. Um, right. Uh, it was really cool. Did you have a TV? Did uh, have we a did TV have license? a TV. We did have a okay. TV. Uh, we hired a TV, so we didn't have to have a license. Right, okay. And uh, that was in the upstairs room. We used to, We used to watch a lot of TV, mainly... Though at the weekends, mm-hmm. uh, on the evenings, so we were big fans mm-hmm. of Dynasty. We watched a lot of Dynasty. That was a big thing <laughs> at that particular time. Right. But Doctor, it was like, was it like a Monday evening or something? It was really something. It was not. Well, yeah, Dragonfire was on Monday. It was not on my eighty-seven on my radar at all. Um, mm-hmm. In the really bitterly cold house that yeah. we lived in, and you know, then I had this uh, new girlfriend. Um, mm-hmm. Who I was religiously seeing. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there were a lot of our stuff. There was there was work to be done. Other things to be doing. <laughs> there was girlfriends to be a- attended to. There were pubs to be drank at. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was the meat raffle on Monday evenings. Actually, I think we used to go mm-hmm. down to the meat raffle um, mm-hmm. at the Jericho Tavern. Anyway, um, so yeah, I I did not watch this when it was first broadcast. I did yeah. watch it though, however. Sometime in the late 90s when mm. HMV did a kind of fire sale. HMV was like a big <laughs> like record store. Yeah. I think they're in receivership now. I think they are, yes. Um, so HMV yeah. did a huge fire sale of Doctor Who videos. 
mm-hmm. um, I think in preparation for you know DVDs, DVDs becoming a thing. So yeah. I went and bought all of the McCoy videos VHS oh. on cassette um, for like you know a couple of quid each, and I think I I watched some of Dragonfire then. Not all of it though, probably. <laughs> How about right. you, Dragonfire? memories well i saw this in uh january of 1990 that was the first broadcast in minnesota on ktca in the twin cities but doctor who then was on like at 10 p.m on a saturday night so i was out doing stuff with friends or on a date or something i don't know specifically then right so i would have taped this to watch it and then watched it probably on the following sunday or some some sometime during the week right so i right. saw it roughly mid-january 1990 which would have been almost what two and a half three years after after it was first broadcast in the in britain did, i mean did, it, did it wasn't you, spoiled for me by any means yes i mean did you you had no method of like finding out anything about it right the, the, the closest thing would have been if i would have perused uh doctor who magazine and shinders right right but were, i have no recollection of knowing anything about Dragonfire in advance yeah, yeah yeah i mean i was the college video rep which means I was mm. in charge of organizing video nights for mm-hmm. my colleagues, not colleagues, you know, my uh, college mates. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did have access to a VHS player, but there was only one, and it was in it was actually in the college itself. Right. Um, and then we lived uh, like a couple of miles away from the college, off in, in you know in this small area of town called Jericho. Mm-hmm. So I had no real way to to video. Doctor Who, even if it had right. been kind of on my radar. And, you know, VHS mm-hmm. tapes were expensive. And then, yeah, right. anyway, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It just mm-hmm. wasn't going to happen, basically. Wasn't yeah, I, I would always ask my parents to do it. Right. My dad, till his to his dying day, was completely unable to operate a VHS machine. <laughs> uh, um, and my mother still is unable to do things like that. Mm. So, um, well, no, yeah. she's better now. She's better now. Mm-hmm. But, no, that, 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 that literally wasn't going to happen. Well, they're, they're simpler now. Back then, you had to actually set the clock you had, and, you had to set a timer didn't you yeah i remember that yeah, yeah. the the tricky thing during this time is that you had to guess if they were doing a pledge break uh. you'd always want to put in a brand new tape and start it a little bit earlier and just let it run the six hours or so just because you wouldn't want to sit and watch doctor who and prit's pause during the pledge breaks or anything like no that, so. but i mean in pledge breaks and stuff didn't you get like people like colin baker turning up and cool stuff like that uh, would, occasionally, would, would, occasionally. You, wouldn't you wanted that, or was it just like miserable Doctor Who fans from the Twin Cities asking for money? Yeah, um, occasionally you'd have Doctor, one of the doctors or one of the uh, cast doing that. But right. okay. uh, pledge breaks were so annoying as they were. Just uh, I was more in there for the story than the actors. So right, 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 right. I, I, it'd be interesting. I know I do have some VHS tapes from that time period. Right, and see what survives. What did I actually get captured? Right. So. Yeah. But uh, I figured I'd save that for my retirement project. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 So. Um. Yeah. So. And again, I mean, I was. I can't remember. We. I think we read the Independent. That was the newspaper that we read, and mm-hmm. that didn't have much about Doctor Who in it. Um. I. And again, it had been. I hadn't really enjoyed at all, and I had barely even watched the Trial of a Time Lord, mm-hmm. and then there'd been the hiatus before that. So is Sabalin Glitz a familiar character? Um, you probably had seen Trials since then when you were watching in the 90s. Yeah, no, Sabalin, yeah. I, well, actually, no, I, I hadn't. I, I, had a, um, I had a minor operation 
in that's when I lived in London. That's actually mm-hmm. when we first moved back to London after we lived in Minnesota. So that would have been 1996. And I had a minor operation in a London hospital and they discharged me and I was like completely woozy from anesthetic and stuff. So I right. went into Smith's and like bought Trial of a Time Lord in 1996. And then I watched that. <laughs> um, Under the influence. I watched the whole thing, like lying in bed going like, oh, I really don't feel that well. Um, mm. And what, what, watched the whole thing. So that's the first time I'd actually watched Trial of a Time Lord. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Sablon so, Glitz, I, who's he? And he's a pretty generic character in a way. It's not as if he's mm-hmm. one of the great characters of Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the actor who plays him, Tony Selby, was very familiar to me because he was on Good Neighbors. Really? But yeah, he was a he was a Cockney rag and bone man who, uh, or that was his oh. uh, act. But he was independently wealthy, and he owned a villa in Spain, and he was taking night school classes for Spanish or anything. But he he sold uh, Tom and Barbara a cast iron cook stove. Really, I have no and... memory of that whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, I guess I I was only watching what when Britain was called The Good Life um, in mm-hmm. the 70s. So I probably... Yeah. So, but I mean, was, was Good Neighbors running contemporaneously with Doctor Who at that point? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it was, it I was wouldn't on, have made that connection at all. Yeah, that was one of the regular things. So oh, interesting. And I had been taping The Good Life, good well, Good Neighbors, good neighbors in the yeah. States. And so, yeah, so the Sabalon Glitz uh, sold the goods a... Uh, a cast iron stove and then at the end you know the actor i guess his character's name was sam uh gave the goods a cat uh to help keep down the pests and the birds and stuff goodness that would uh take the seeds so i never see sabalon glitz without thinking of you know the same kind of cockney type character with the rhyming slang and whatnot half-baked or, right. and not an authentic Cockney, but uh, they're one who's putting on the act. Did did he have the same beard and everything? Without the without the kind of the eighties ridges, but yeah, I, I vaguely recall. Uh, maybe he didn't have a beard, but the same curly hair. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, actually, actually, I think he did have a beard. So yeah, oh, that is really really interesting. <laughs> I had no idea that he was on the Good Life. That is yeah, absolutely yeah. Okay, well, not, one, not one episode, story, minor, yeah. minor character. So right. at that, that, but the, but then you know the other guest cast like Patricia Quinn was uh, in uh, Rocky Horror. Really? Yeah, she God, is. Well, if by research, uh, watching a lot of television growing up and going to uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show and huh. see, <laughs> at, I, I, um, I, I, Uptown Theater well, okay, here's in a, Minneapolis. Okay, here's a, here's a sh- I guess that's research. Here's a shameful mission. I've never seen the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, well, uh, really? I don't think mm. I'd like I mean, I, I've always basically kind of avoided like it. it. Is it good? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's horrible. It you go there for the camp? Really? I don't really yeah. like camp that much. Mm, huh. Okay, but what's what? What? What is she in? She was magenta. She was kind of a bride of Frankenstein. Oh, okay. oh with the hair, yeah. with the yeah. bride of Frankenstein hair. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and she's yeah. Belash in this, right, or whatever she's. Yeah, called. what? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, that the pretension. I mean, Ian Briggs. This is his first uh, script for television. Yes, it, uh, doesn't and, it show? And it really shows, and so. Uh, like the two minor characters, uh, like Kane is named after Citizen, Citizen Kane. Kane. Yeah, and then uh, uh, Belzac or Balax is named after some Hungarian critic. They're all like Hungarian. And, like, or German. And then like, like Kraut, Krautkauer is a German critic. and Film critics from the yeah. 30s, something ridiculous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I think, you know, I, I suppose there's a couple of things I think about that. 
one of which it is actually like super pretentious, but it's only super, super pretentious if you tell people. So I mean, I mean, in terms of um, just working out names for people, actually, it's a pretty clever way to like think of names. Like, okay, well, I'll right. just pull out my you know film criticism one hundred and one and just run my finger down the chapter mm-hmm. headings. But then if you actually then tell everyone about it, I don't know how he told everyone. Maybe people just guessed <laughs> that. Then it becomes pretentious. I wonder if it came out during. Uh, like Doctor Who magazine interviews or something. Yeah, where, probably did. Where you know this was this was the wilderness years, and so the, the Ian Briggs and uh, Cartmel were hot commodities. They were the last, the last, you know, yeah. the last ones of creative input into the, the show. Hope, right. Yeah, and so it might have been. Well, look how clever we were. We, I mean, it really seemed like uh, a young a young writer saying, look, I'm really educated. I am clever. I know these things. I went to and, film school. I've read, yeah, you know, Bell Ash I, I know Krakow how to script. Yeah. I've heard of Marshall McLuhan, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. It's a shame that there's no Hungarian film critic called Glitz. <laughs> well, maybe there is. I don't know. I see. There should be. There should be. And I mean, that that would have been smart, actually. Like, if he'd suddenly realized, actually, you know, that there's a film critic called, you know, I don't know, Jacob Glitz or something. Is that, <laughs> that, oh, but there there isn't. I can, I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure that that's true. Anyway. Well, but he did work it in with the Nosferatu for Glitz's spaceship, which is that, what, the Symphony of Horror, that German uh, vampire movie? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I vaguely always, I've always vaguely assumed that the Nosferatu is supposed to evoke the Nostromo from Alien. Mm. No, well, that could be because the monster certainly had a it's certainly like a dragon. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, I mean, I know Nosferatu the the movie. It's an Count all, Orlock, awesome, yeah. That's an awesome yeah. film. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I I always figured, yeah, it was supposed to make you think of um, the Nostromo. Hmm. Well, I was thinking that well, Kane is very vampiric in you know with mm. the coffin and that's just true. his uh, he, kind of white in, demeanor. In the, in, yes. It, that pale demeanor, and then he was almost hypnotizing Ace when he was trying to get her to take the gold sovereign. Yeah, and it it seemed it seemed to me that that's what Briggs was trying to do. That this character, who's lived three thousand years plus, is a vampire of some right. some sort with the energy drain, and he has to always return to his coffin. Yeah, and ultimately killed by sunlight. Yeah, that I didn't think of that. Yeah, they should have made more of that because they didn't mm-hmm. really make any of that. You kind of had to pull that out. And the other, of course, the other movie that it, it it's kind of ripping off is Raiders of the Lost Ark as well. Oh, with the yeah, with the final scene with the melting. But then also the thing that's burnt into your hand. Yeah, like the yeah, like Ronald Lacey has mm-hmm. in that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And so also it's finding a, a treasure as well, I guess. Yeah. I don't know, with a map. So it's kind of a mashup of a lot of uh, things. But not a very good one. It's kind of an uneasy... I mean, you think back to the, the Hammer mashups of the 70s with Hinchcliffe right. and Holmes. Right. Maybe it's... Uh, I don't the know. The difference is experience. Yeah. The, it's it's a, really the differences that you have an inexperienced writer and an inexperienced script editor, you know, young guns. Yep without the maturity and polish. Of course, but then you have a very, very experienced producer who presumably isn't really paying attention at this point, um, which would be uh, Mr. John Nathan Turner. Yes. He's not really... Because he should be helping them. He should be, Mm -hmm. you know, helping them along and giving them tips and notes Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff, but he isn't doing that at all, I I guess, at this point. Well, but he's a producer. He needs all about the show, I think. all about the show, yes. And I think the biggest influence i think the producer had is in that young little girl walking around in her mom it just it that seemed uh 
it seemed to be a callback. You have the innocent who makes friends with the monster that can walk through all the danger. Frankenstein, thank you. But it just it seemed out of place, and then to dress her in that tar- uh, weird uh, outfit, toddler yeah. Santiera, which is totally inappropriate. It just didn't work. And then the mom, and this is this is actually me doing doing some research, is from she was an actress who was in the Stones of Blood. She was Pat, oh really, the, the woman in the tent who went out and touched the ogre, the no stone, way. and had her blood change. Yeah, that is her previous appearance wow. on Doctor Who. You know what they should have uh, done? They should have made it. Sharon oh. Taylor is the actress. Yeah, they name. should have said like, and then my great 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 grandmother <laughs> was killed in a tent. Um, yeah. I, I thought the little girl was also kind of a callback to Alien uh, Aliens, so the yeah. Alien sequel and Newt, Newt, the little yeah. girl who's kind of left mm-hmm. at the end. I, I do also think it's kind of weird and extraordinary that, um, well, obviously it's weird and extraordinary that Mel goes off with Glitz because it's a, it's a complete kind of you know Leela and Android kind of like, and I'm just going to go off with this guy now. Mm-hmm. But they've also gone off with a strange woman and her weirdly dressed child as well, right? Unless they kill them or something, or I don't know, mm-hmm. whatever. Well, what I honestly I think, well, since Glitz sold his uh, crew into slavery, I just wonder if he's first opportunity <laughs> he sell uh, sells sells off Mel to uh, I don't know someone who likes uh, redheads and uh, <laughs> screamers. I don't know <laughs> some. Uh, I mean, there must be. I mean, I'm. Isn't there a missing? No, isn't there a missing adventure I, with Glitz and Mel? I'm sure they come. Sabalon Glitz, White Slaver. I yeah, think is and the, there, and there the must, title of that one. There must be a big finish with Mel and Glitz. Isn't Glitz. There? Hmm. I don't know. Is Tony that Selby be... still alive? I'm going to look on the internet. Are you still alive, <laughs> Tony Selby? These are facts. He's 80 years old, so no, he is still alive. Well, there you go. But yeah, that was kind of an odd couple, and I, I think that was mainly down to them not knowing, or Bonnie Langford herself not knowing if she wanted to go or stay. Well, I'd, I'd forgotten how ridiculous the character of Mel is, to be honest. It's like, you don't have a character. You're just, these are just words. Mm-hmm. You're saying words in a Bonnie Langford voice. Right. That's all you're doing. It's it's very, mm-hmm. it must be, must be very difficult for her, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From time to time, she's like a little child. I mean, the, the, it's interesting to, you know, the character, it's, Okay, all right, I'll, I'll rewind. So the the character of Ace, which is mm-hmm. ostensibly what we're kind of talking about, which is using an excuse to kind of watch all these Doctor Who stories that we haven't watched uh, at all, um, or for a long time, <laughs> <laughs> um, ever. But, you know, the, the character of Ace is like, is just, she's like, she's got so much backstory. It's like, oh my God, how much backstory does this girl have? Mm-hmm. You know, she's was a just hates her parents. She's never mm-hmm. called anyone. She's called Dorothy. She came here on a time storm. She used mm-hmm. to be a waitress. She still is a waitress. She's some kind of chemical genius. She's working for mm-hmm. her A-levels. It's like, bloody hell, just calm. Well, it's, and that's not even counting the stuff that they didn't put in because it's implied in Briggs's uh, character description for Ace that uh, Ace and Glitz uh, hooked up and that's how Ace lost her virginity. Oh, really? So there was supposed to be that whole level of a bit going in there, too. I think that's I, in I a can, Cornell New Adventure. I can just see, because he's, 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 he's definitely a very attractive man, Tony Selby. <laughs> I can definitely see any 16-year-old girl going mm-hmm. like, yes, of all the aliens <laughs> in this mysterious outer space combination of cafe and supermarket, mm-hmm. he is the one I will... 
I will sleep with. Um, but anyway, so she has so much backstory, and then right. Nell's got no backstory at all. She's got literally nothing. Well, well, she's a computer programmer from Peas Pottage. Apparently. I mean, what more do you need? What more do you need? <laughs> but again, from time to time, Mel is like a little girl. She's doing mm-hmm. little girl things. She does that weird scream that she does when the, the inverted commas dragon arrives. Right. Um, it's Yeah, it's poor, poor Bonnie Langford. I really yeah. felt for her. She's got great hair, though. Great hair, and then they really, literally, did not give her lines or anything to do. It was, it was embarrassing for her, mm. or I felt sorry for her that Eldred uh, was getting all the lines, and she was just trying to act by smiling or nodding her head, uh, and it just <laughs> there wasn't there wasn't anything for her to do. It would have been better if she was written out in Delta. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she had a little more, if memory serves, a little more to do in Delta, but... Uh, yeah, well, she, I, mean, and she, I mean, she could have stayed on Earth as well in Delta and the Bannerman, couldn't she? Mm-hmm. She could have hooked up with, you know, the weird beekeeping Time Lord thing, or <laughs> I don't know. She could, she could have done anything. She could have right. just stayed in Wales. I mean, it's, right. it's, it's different enough from Bees Pottage mm-hmm. to, to have made sense at that point. And she would have, you know, with her computer knowledge, she just she probably could have uh, set up a... International Electromatics or something. That would have been oh, timey-wimey. That would have been good. <laughs> see, here we go. You see, we're writing a better version than, mm-hmm. than was on the screen already. So, uh, yeah. Okay. yeah. The overall cheapness mm. of this really stood out, too. And I think it's partially due to the lighting. And, but yeah. uh, a lot of a lot of dry ice. But yeah. having that firefight or that laser fight at the very beginning when the Nosferatu crew was being sold and then yeah. one of them... I think Zed tried to escape, and then it just was really, it, it sounded like cap guns going off. It just was not, not good, I guess. <laughs> Laughably bad. Yeah, this is, yeah it, wasn't, it wasn't even bad. It was just kind of not good. I mean, I think, you know, the, that whole criticism, that kind of Michael Gray criticism that, you know, Doctor Who couldn't compete with movies. Mm-hmm. Two things I've thought about is one, well, yeah, of course, because it right. doesn't have enough money. So, of course, it's not able to compete with movies. <laughs> and then also B, then why does it keep trying to? Right. And then C, the main thing that makes it not look like a movie is the kind of multi-camera thing. Uh, mm. You know, it's just not shot like a movie. Right. And they're trying to do movie things. And, you know, the shots that they choose from the cameras is just, you know weird yeah and the direction is weird they're yeah. obviously oh yeah yeah completely yeah. unable to control sylvester mccoy mm-hmm. you know who's doing all this like i'm on ice acting right and no well, one else it's is ice doing, world of is course doing any right. of that no one else is sliding around on the ice apart from sylvester and mm-hmm. then he does that weird thing where he kind of climbs down tony selby yeah and like well he, that's at the, at the beginning of part two yeah. yeah and it's like well someone should have said look honestly sylvester we know you're awesome and you've got all this physical comedy stuff going on, but just, you know, no one else is doing it. Right. You're making it obvious that uh, mm-hmm. that everything is not right anyway. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, it worked with Troughton because Fraser Hines also played along with it. He did it. Right. And so it was part of the double act. But I think they... either everyone pretends it's slippery or nobody pretends it's slippery. Right. If only one person pretends it's slippery, it looks as though mm-hmm. they're just pretending it's slippery. I think the only other person who pretended to be slippery was Mel when she almost hit, but didn't really hit her head on the rail. Yeah, <laughs> when she's being chased by the uh, zombies. Well, I think. I mean, I think this is that was one of my points. I mean, that's the kind of the what they chose the one camber angle where it's obvious that she didn't <laughs> hit her head. Like, right. th- there must have been another shot they could have used that would mm-hmm. be like I don't oh, know from behind you or just 
And that gun, and with those big guns, you know, that go off and <laughs> cartoon guns, giant cartoon guns. Well, I mean, which actually should have been played more for laughs. That kind of, and here's a bigger gun. Mm-hmm. But you know, it fires. Uh, they fire it by accident at the little girl, mm-hmm. and it doesn't kill her. And then they fire it a couple of times at the monster, and it dies. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I just thought those two characters were unnecessary if you with a little better little bit better structuring you right. could have just had uh what is it uh kraut cower and uh bell's ass yeah. uh, patricia quinn and uh tony osoba yeah they characters yeah. that would have been way to do it and you could have uh, i don't know it, uh, just uh, and it, I, I'm, we're just going to keep on going on about it now so the <laughs> other i mean the other thing is um I thought the costumes were weird as well. I mean, oh, I, with the pickle halibos, the, the, the pickle halib kind of white, sprayed yeah. white. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's, that's an odd choice. Yeah. Um, if we'll, you're we'll... running an army of mercenaries, you 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 space vampire, whatever you are, Kane. But I, I think it fit within the Germanic bits that uh, Briggs put into the script with the Nosferatu and then the, the uh, Krautmauer and so. the Germanic type names that he was putting in, but. I think production-wise, they should have played up more of the vampiric yeah. nature of Kane. Yep, and and maybe a little less of the alien and Indiana Jones movie pastiches that they were going for. Yeah, the writing for Aldred was over the top, and Sophie wasn't camera tested. You know, this is her first uh, television role yeah. too, Sophie Aldred, yeah. and. The acting was very stagey and very stagey. Awkward. awkward. Awkward, yeah. I mean, I know she's playing an awkward teen of some kind, but yeah, the line, the line readings were. So here's here's a question for you, actually. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you're you're actually probably not the, not the right person to ask. I should ask a more generic American. But are you were you were you able? I mean, so the weird thing about Sophie's reading in this is mm-hmm. that it, she's got various wordings that imply that she's kind of lower middle class working class kind of mm-hmm. diction and she's got a kind of estuary thing going on but it doesn't really work mm-hmm. the bit where she says like i've got no mum, i've got no i've never had any no parents you know all that right. kind of stuff it's just like wow and i i, I guess like i was looking at it again i mean it's like well is she someone who's sort of posh and trying to sound non-posh or hmm. which is i guess what <laughs> sophie actually is or, or is she really someone who is actually supposed to be posh do you do you pick up that as an american the weirdness of her accent the weirdness of her accent and since i'm terrible with accents i didn't pick that up what i picked up was the intensity level where she would go from zero to like a hundred yeah like I don't have any parents, or I have no parents. I ain't got and, no parents. I've never had no parents. Well, yeah, yeah, and that just seemed like, whoa, that, it just, you have hidden issues there. <laughs> you have hidden, unable to act properly issues. Well, I don't know. I don't know if there, it's unable to act. I think it's a largely due to direction, really. I put a lot of this uh, yeah, blame on uh, JNT and Chris Clough, who's yeah. the director's. The the cliffhanger the the uh, the abominable cliffhanger at the end of part one where uh, instead of Sill deciding to climb over the rail and those rail those safety railings everywhere was just weird but instead of well, him he's, he's, climbing he's, over the rail he's, he's had three thousand years I mean Kane's been obviously eru- eru- <laughs> erecting safety railings around everything uh, yeah that must be it but instead of if you didn't have a safety rail and with McCoy slipping all over you could have had him slide 
over and just have his um, umbrella clip the rail or something or something. clip clip something and hang on to it or make it obvious that he wanted to get to the lower level and didn't plan accordingly but it just looked like oh it's literally a cliffhanger why don't i do that it just i mean just a slight terminally bad a slight change because i mean obviously what he's doing is that he sees that he has to climb down a cliff right and he starts to climb down the cliff and it goes wrong i mean that's what that's presumably what the script said um Mm -hmm. it just was directed so badly that is it well as you've just as, as everyone can see on the tv screen like he climbs mm-hmm. over the railing and then all of a sudden decides to hang on to his umbrella and then he slips out the umbrella and i don't know yeah it's mm-hmm. it's very 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 odd yes and unnecessary um, and just they're in the ice caverns and then glitz persuades the doctor that they need to go back to the nosferatu so he can escape but then they meet patricia quinn's character and then they decide not to escape it's very, very weird. Well, I mean, the whole thing is weird. So, I mean, this guy, you know, so so Kane's been there for 3,000 years. Right. Well, okay, he's exiled to a planet. Well, he's like Eldrad. What he, <laughs> that's exactly what, I was, exactly what I was thinking. He's like Eldrad. <laughs> he's been exiled to some weird planet, but at the same time, he's also been given the... Well, it's also like Sutek as well. I mean, he's also yeah. been then given the, the key to escape from his prison, right. yeah, helpfully by the people who've exiled him in the first place. So that's mm-hmm. weird. Though I guess it fits within kind of Doctor Who things in general is that when a, a supervillain is imprisoned in some kind of way, the, the way to get out of his prison is always imprisoned with him. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. I guess that's just what we do around here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's taken him 3,000 years to... Work I, it out. Work it out. So what's he yeah. been, what's he mean doing for 3,000 years? Well, what he's been well, doing for 3,000 years is he decided to open a supermarket. <laughs> it's yes frozen I, goods I'm a, I'm a crazy space terrorist okay i've been exiled now to a world um for three thousand well it's, it's it's not three thousand years yet but i i'm gonna be here for a while um gotta get some income coming in yeah i've got it i mean those statues of my my late wife that i'm going to decide to build in about three thousand years from now they're not going to pay for themselves um i know i'll start a branch of iceland <laughs> Yeah, that's about it. Which could have been super satirical. I mean, and it, uh, you know, you could. They should have played up it more. It, it did not look like a grocery store, or supermarket, and maybe it looked like something out of the 1980s in Britain for a frozen <laughs> well, goods section. Really? No. It just looked cheap and nasty. Well, it <laughs> really. Looked, yeah, it looked like a weird kind of, you know, uh, like a kind of. Parisian cafe of some kind with kind of people yeah. in beautiful clothes sitting around. It should have been like a big open space filled with freezer cabinets. That would have been a lot more interesting if they would have just uh, filled it at an Iceland or something like that. You know, just in a in a frozen goods section in a yeah. They could have probably rented uh, freezer chests. Chests. Well, cabinets. And, we, uh, would, we we would call them cabinets. Okay, but yeah. it just something. It just yeah. and then another thing they lifted was that malt shop was i guess supposed to be like the star wars cantina yeah that's what i was which, picking up yeah which did not work didn't really at work all. at all well i see the i mean they've got they had form i mean D- uh, davros you know the great healer mm-hmm. in revelation of the daleks you know there was some satire there with you know he's providing food to the galaxy you know right and you actually get the what kind of davros's character becomes and there's some funny kind of you know capital 
capitalism style satire but they right I mean, but you can imagine like a vampire is exiled to a planet for a long period of time you know because it's doctor who he just he does something weird like starts a supermarket but you know you could imagine that being played more for laughs and mm -hmm. satire but it wasn't played for anything at all basically it was like you're supposed to accept that it's a branch of iceland which is for those of you who don't know for our american listeners iceland is a um is a very, very down market uh, freezer. Basically, you can only buy things that are frozen there. Mm -hmm. It's like a supermarket chain called Iceland. Mm -hmm. yeah. Which would have been funny. And they do kind of do it at the very end because I watched the final episode this afternoon uh, and I made I made a mental note of it because Kane does say, and it's now the sales are on or something, you know. Mm -hmm. So they, they that was there somewhere in the script, but they mm -hmm. also wanted to make him all kind of, you know, icy and kind of remote and Germanic and, I don't know, Nietzschean or something as well. There is, there is too much in here, and I think if they would have pared it down to Kane being this sub-zero vampire, this uh, cold vampire, and maybe got rid of the dragon or you, you didn't need a mobile dragon you just needed the power source being surrounded by heat and uh high high temperature or yeah. bright light so Kane couldn't get at it and he was getting these mercenaries in and trying to send people down to get it and they always got fried or dead somehow and yeah. glitz glitz would have went in maybe Maybe ditched a little girl and the mom bit. Yeah. And you know, another thing that Kane should have done, he should have asked someone who was coming to his supermarket, like, how's my planet doing? Mm -hmm. And they would have said, you would oh, think that would have come it was, up. <laughs> it was destroyed 2,000 years ago. And right. go, oh, wow. Okay. All Bugger right. that. <laughs> well, all right. Well, maybe I'll, I'll end my plan for revenge then and I'll just open more branches of my very successful supermarket instead. Well, that, that was just so quick of an ending and that. Well, uh, if I can't have revenge, I'm just going to kill myself now. Yeah, I'll kill myself. Uh, it's, yeah. That just, I guess they, uh, Briggs kind of hinted at it that he, uh, that Keynes had thought about doing this many times over the past 3,000 years. So maybe right. he had nothing, nothing to exist for anymore. Right. But I think it would have been better if it was like uh, Sabal and Glitz decides to open the window or Mel decides to open a window or something well, like I that was, rather I, than Kane yeah. doing it himself. I mean, I was thinking actually another way to do it would be do a very, very traditional Doctor Who ending is you plug in the power source and there's some kind of feedback loop thing going on and the power mm -hmm. source is too much for you and you're connected to the power source in some kind of way uh -huh. and you, you blow up. Which they kind of did when the, they killed the lot. dragon. Yeah, yeah. I can't think of any examples, but you know, but you know, like the like the Ortons in Terror of the Ortons. You know, it's like mm -hmm. ah, it's too much for them. Ah, bang, and they explode. Right, it's yeah. the end. Um, mm -hmm. But they didn't. They didn't. They didn't do that. He just opened the window yeah. and. Um, because one thing I would have done, you see, if I was a vampire, a space vampire, who would be destroyed <laughs> by sunlight, I wouldn't have windows in my spaceship that I built. I just wouldn't have any windows at all. So you couldn't open them and I couldn't die. <laughs> that would probably be or alternatively, uh, planning. If I, if I was a suicidal vampire of some kind, I'd put a window somewhere just in case at some point over the 3,000 year period day, I decided yeah. to commit suicide. Yeah. 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 Well, there you go. Bad day. So, a lot of this, <laughs> yeah, I guess it's it's kind of it's it's fun to talk about actually because it is yeah. kind of silly. Um, it it is pretty bad. I it think is bad, it's, yeah. and I think it's just a young writer, young script writer with a lot of good ideas 
this is my big break, or in Ian Briggs' case, this is my big break. I want to fit in everything I know to show off how brilliant of a writer I am. And really, he needed a seasoned script editor to say, these are all great ideas. Why don't we commission you for some more stories? But in the meantime, prune this, prune that. Right. And right. the scene that really strikes out at me is the scene where the doctor uses this philosophical conversation to uh, – <laughs> to allow Glitz to sneak into the Nosferatu. Um, we, we, we were going to read it out, weren't we? Yeah, we are. Right. Um, shall I be the doctor and you be the guard or vice versa? Uh, why don't you be the doctor? Be you the have, doctor. The, you have the authentic accent. Well, I don't have the Scottish accent. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. What's your attitude to the nature of existence? For example, do you hold any strong theological opinions? I think you'll find most educated people regard mythical convictions as fundamentally animistic. I see. That's a very interesting concept. Personally, I find most experiences border on the existential. Well, how do you reconcile that with the empirical critical belief that experience is the root, I'm trying to roll my ass, of all <laughs> phenomena? I think you'll find that a concept can be philosophically valid, even if theologically meaningless. So what you're saying is that before Plato existed, someone had to have the idea of Plato. Oh, you have no idea what a relief it is for me to have such a stimulating philosophical discussion. There are so few intellectuals about these days. Tell me, what do you think of the assertion that semiotic thickness of performed text varies according to the redundancy of auxiliary performance codes? Yes. <laughs> <sighs> so again, you see, I mean, you can see there's like, a, well, it's total Douglas Adams, basically, is what that is. It's, it It is a riff of Douglas Adams, but uh, from what I understand is somehow that is from Doctor Who, the unfolding text, one of the very earliest uh, academic criticisms of Doctor Who scripts. Right. Alvarado, yeah. Those lines were lifted from it. And you, you watched this with the info text on. So yeah, was so there the, any more? Yeah, so the actual line that is listed from Doctor Who, the unfolding text, is the semiotic thickness of performed text varies according to the mm -hmm. redundancy of auxiliary performance codes. Um, right. And apparently that is applied in that particular book. And I have a copy of that book, in fact. I, I have it sitting right here on my desk. Well, we are, we are Doctor Who podcasters. Never read it. Ne <laughs> never read it. Never read it. Never will. <laughs> Apparently, that, that phrase is applied to a City of Death. Mm. Um, okay. And it's sort of about how there is a lot of kind of signifying going on in City of Death. There's like kind mm -hmm. of hard-boiled gumshoe stuff. Yeah. And there's Bondian supervillain stuff. And there's right. clowning around stuff. Mm -hmm. And it, what that means is that you you never really know what's supposed to be going on because all the signifiers are cancelling each other out, mm. which is what one of the things that makes City of Death kind of clever. Um, mm -hmm. the, the philosophical piece apparently is actually some... Oh, I should have made a note on it when I was when I was watching the watching the DVD text. Um, but it's, it's well, we're just trying to sell the DVD here, folks. Buy the DVD. Buy the DVD watch the info text. Yeah, yeah, really. Watch <laughs> watch the uh, watch the info text. Um, it's it's a late nineteenth century British philosophy mm -hmm. theological debate about you know does existence preclude essence or or essence preclude existence mm -hmm. or something. You know, um, it's really it's a joke. Right. But it goes on for about 30 seconds too, too long. Too long. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And you... You could have cut that. 
Yeah, I think you could have cut the the quote of the unfolding text. It would have been okay. You could have just and put you... the unfolding text in. That's the joke because, mm-hmm. you know, that's the relevant it's joke. Yeah, yeah it's it, meta. Yeah. Um, the, the whole philosophical stuff. I mean, I mean, again, you, you could, if you've mm-hmm. been really clever, you could have thought about Cain and you could have thought, thought about his predicament. And you could have, you know, mined your knowledge of philosophy of the past couple of thousand years and found a philosophical concept that might have fitted Cain's predicament. But mm-hmm. you're not that smart. So you just like plonked a random piece of philosophy that you copy and paste. Well, I guess they didn't have copy and paste in those days, but you've copied out of some textbook you've got and just use that instead. Mm-hmm. It takes this weird philosophical bent here for the next, for this scene and then the scene with... Uh, uh, Belzaz, or whatever Patricia Quinn's character's name is, inside the Nosferatu. Right. And that's really it. It's not thematic to the piece. So it's, it's again, I think the young writer showing off, yep. the showing off, and uh, I guess uh, Cartmill gave the unfolding text to all his writer, all his new writers to say, see, this is what the show is really about, which can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, this is. I mean, this is this book here. I got. I got a paperback copy, and I picked this up during the wilderness years, back when I was in uh, English or yeah, English literature as a study. Right. It's over. It's like three hundred and fifty pages. It's a uh, academic uh, look at Doctor Who, and I'm not really certain that that is the best thing to give to a young writer or a no. new writer to say this is what Doctor Who's about. No, I mean I think, you know, obviously academic writing on Doctor Who has kind of exploded, you know, in yeah. the well, since 83 this, at least. Yeah, in the 30 years or so, 30 40 years since since those books were since that book book was written, um there's mm. obviously there's a lot more accessible writing now um that look at Doctor Who in a properly critical way and locate it within contemporary cultural criticism right yeah i think unfolding text was i think pretty much the very first piece of you know attempt to apply kind of structuralist critiques to doctor who and it's yeah it's a very very hard read and not only is it a hard read it's kind of not right as well if you see what i mean Mm -hmm. i think thought has Mm -hmm. moved on on how to look at texts that from from the early 80s um mm-hmm. and it sort of is nonsense and it's definitely the wrong thing to give someone what he should have given them he should have given them a pile of targets got them to read malcolm hulk and terence Dix, and you know you could have given them two of the best target novels you could give them uh, uncle terry and give them mac hulk uh yep. cave monsters or something like Ian that Martin, and say, Look, give them the Sontaran experiment or something yeah and they're sort of like this is this is a Doctor Who uh, that was really popular in the 70s, early 70s. We've been through a rough period here under Sayward and Bidmead. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to recapture some of the magic of Doctor Who, and uh, we're going to tone down the silliness of McCoy. And he's you know, slipping go, and go sliding around, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. 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 Um, it's so. Uh, but that. But that scene just really. Uh, you can imagine Douglas Adams doing it, but I think Douglas Adams had a little more education in this and a lot more writing experience at the time that he would have been trying to slide this in yeah. with uh, in in his Doctor Who work. And it's, I mean, it sticks out like a metaphorical sore thumb. Basically, it's just like, <laughs> what the hell is this? A metaphysical sore a thumb. A metaphysical sore thumb. <laughs> Semiotically thick sore thumb. Uh, yeah. Someone's yeah. someone's put a hammer, a, a mm-hmm. semiotic hammer down on their thumb and it's become all thick. 
So would the Wizard of Oz with Dorothy and the Time Storm and that bit with Ace have been relevant or register if a British audience or at least a few at the time that this went out? Uh, yeah, yeah. Wiz- okay. the, the Wizard of Oz, the movie. I mean, no one read. No one's read the books. No, it's it's all the movie. It's the MGM movie. It's yeah. the movie. It's only the movie. And the movie used to, and I think still in the eighties, was a movie that always used to get shown on Christmas Day. Okay. So yeah, it's always Easter, I think, for in the oh really US. Easter, interesting. Yeah. Um, no, so I mean, I've seen that movie like you know ten okay. times. Um, so yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, yeah, Dorothy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, I think that probably would have would have mm-hmm. would have registered. I think people would have gone like, why? Right. Because that's also my reaction. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think it would have registered. Uh, the one thing that I want to praise in this is the crystal sets looked a lot better than what they are doing with the crystal sets in the console room in uh, Series Eleven. Yeah, I, I, I actually, <laughs> I actually thought that the sets were pretty good, apart from the ones where they'd obviously stopped spending any money, right? Um, which is the freezer center and um, <laughs> all of the corridors. Well, the the one where the singing tree set, which they use quite a bit, where the dragon yeah, 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 op- dra- opened up its uh, carapace head. head. Yeah. yeah, that I thought was pretty good. And there was a crystal thing and you didn't have any wagging crystals. Nope. So that crystal set, I think, worked a heck of a lot better than what we have going on with crystals in series 11 yeah it was beautiful it actually reminded me of the of the kind of crystal cavern in um, excalibur which is one of my favorite mm. films was kind excalibur. of excalibur excalibur <laughs> um uh i really felt for the poor actor inside the the dragon costume because uh-huh. that was obviously a real pain to walk around in i mean talk about the nodding heads of the slovene the kind of nodding head of the <laughs> of the dragon yeah that was a guy, I think, uh, Leslie Meadows Leslie played the creature. Oh, interesting. Okay. So I felt sorry for him. And that, I mean, I, again, it was like it was an attempt to do a, uh, try to do the, a, you yeah. know, alien from alien and sort of a kind of biomechanoid of some kind yeah, and sort of failing. Well, yeah. Well, they implied by the whole A&T hunt or the ant hunt that there had been more of these dragons about. Yeah, or at least Which, they're a known thing. Exactly. Aggressive. Well, the 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 one who had the big guns. With yeah, him, who yeah. Kind of schooled the other yep. soldier about the big big gun. Uh, the, she she had been a ant ant hunt veteran, the aggressive non terrestrials, and that just seemed superfluous. And it it made more sense when you had just one dragon that's been three thousand years for uh, as the jailer. Then now there's 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 been other dragons. There's been a family of dragons. It just it seemed to be again a detail. You're trying to throw too much into this, and that definitely seemed like aliens there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think my the implication there is that maybe she'd come from another planet where there's other like aliens mm. that you kill. I mean, I Missed think that. Yeah, I mean, I think that. I think the again. I mean, the thing about like why is it called a dragon when it looks nothing like a dragon? Because it shoots laser beams like its eyes? in towns of Wang Chiang. Like a, yeah, I mean, I would have preferred <laughs> actually. I mean, I wonder if this was an early version of the skit. I mean, what what you know? Because I you know dragons have jewels in their heads. You know, I mean that's one thing that dragons have, and like that's a standard kind of dragon thing. Hmm. You know, and dragons okay. guard treasure, and you know that's also a standard dragon thing. And dragons, you know, they are you know they. I mean, like again, like Excalibur. You know, there's a dragon in the in the in the earth that's 
the earth energy is kind of in the form of a dragon, etc., etc. Mm -hmm. There's kind of a mythical weight to that. And mm -hmm. what a dragon isn't is a kind of weird, you know, alien knockoff man in a rubber suit kind of staggering right. around some corridors. That's not right. what a dragon... I mean, I would have preferred like a big dragon head sticking out of a wall, you know. That mm -hmm. would have worked better for me. Or, I don't know. Yeah. I think what would have worked better for me is some kind of geothermic uh, volcano or oh, yeah. molten or heat that was protecting this energy source. Which and also it, would, have, would have mean that that, that would, have, would have been a, a, a kind of a way of putting Cain off as well if it was hot. Right. Because then he wouldn't have been able to get near it. Yeah, that's why he would have to send all the mercenaries or stuff down or the, why he would have treasure hunters trying to recover this. Yep. And yep. then my thought is once you had that crystal out of the head carapace of the dragon, it didn't really look like it was part of Kane's spaceship, like a missing piece. It looked really... Uh, it, it didn't look like it belonged there at all. It didn't look like it was engineered for it. They just kind of put it on top, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, it, to me, it would have been better if it would have fit in somehow or yeah, like more a, mechanical. Like, yeah, like the key to time or something. Yeah, some yeah. Kind of, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that would have been better. But anyway. If we were children of the 1980s instead of the 70s, I wonder if we would have had uh, the Nosferatu 2 as our podcast name. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We should have had the Nosferatu 2 as our, yeah. Then we could then we could always uh, review German horror, too. We would have a double remit for exactly. our podcast. Exactly, no, we're just stuck <laughs> yes. forever reviewing Doctor Who over and over again for the next 3,000 years. Yes. We'll never escape until we find that energy source in it. Until we find that dragon, exactly, <laughs> and chop its head off. Uh, so, I mean, I mean, just to, uh, I guess, go back to the ostensive kind of excuse for this exercise in the first place, uh, um, uh, you know... We didn't talk about Ace much, yes. <laughs> no, we didn't. I mean, I think, I think it was clear there's a lot of potential for the Ace character. Right. And she does become a very, very popular one of the most popular companions. Um, mm -hmm. This isn't a great start for her, but she's clearly so much better as a companion than, sadly, Mel was. Right. That you've got to kind of give her the benefit of the doubt, even though the kind of wonky acting and the difficulty in directing her, I mean, the mm -hmm. lack of direction that she had, I think, for some of those line readings. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, she is... Uh, it's hard for me, actually, to... Uh, separate to look at this episode without thinking about what comes next. Right. And you think, oh, yes, there's, some, there's actually some pretty good Doctor Who to come. Mm -hmm. This isn't it, though. This is this is bad Doctor Who still. This is season 24, and Ace is much better of a... Or Sophie Aldred's portrayal of Ace, I think, is much better even in season 25 in the very next episode, Remembrance. Yeah. Or next story, Remembrance. Yeah. So it was Sophie Aldred and the actress who played... Uh, Ray in uh, Delta and the Bannerman, Sarah Griffiths. Right. Who they were, those were the two characters that they were thinking about making the next companion for Doctor Who. Okay. And uh, Sarah Griffiths' character, Ray, I think had more of a coherent backstory, a grounded to earth backstory than Ace does in uh, Dragonfire, but maybe that works better for kind of the telefantasy that is Doctor Who, that you want uh, a character that has more depth to plumb than, uh, uh, you know, a standard uh, tomboy from the 1950s. Right. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, I mean, I mean the character of Ace is weird, mm -hmm. 
Um, it's weirdly written, and you know her kind of social status is is kind of undetermined, and it never really gets sorted out. Actually, is she supposed to be like some kind of punk of some kind? She is, I think. Survival, I think, we'll see yeah. uh, more and more of her backstory, how it fits in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But but just her, how it worked for her in Ice World. And how you know, she gets swept up in this time storm, and you know what I find interesting or unexplained is she was able to get a job waitressing. Uh, she was able to find a place to live. It doesn't look very big. It looks to be a, like a run one room thing. It almost looked like a a, a storage closet type yeah. area with a bed. So more detail into her life in Ace World or Ace World Ice World yeah. would have been helpful yeah who was who was who was her employer i wonder that malt shop guy right i guess because i mean but then he must have also had some relationship with kane right because kane right kane's freezer center i mean it's kane's mm-hmm. supermarket with a with right. a cafe attached which is really weird well the kane character i think is really weird because it's implied between bellazos or bella's and Cain had some kind of relationship or consider he had some kind of fondness for her. Right. But with his uh, icy cold skin or hands touching, it there, it must not have been a consummated relationship. So you wonder what kind of yeah. power or authority he had or what favor he showed did, on Did he start out her. being icy or has he become icy over time? Well, I think thought that's why his people exiled him to that frozen side of the pro the pro people right. exiled him to the frozen side of this Svartvard world or whatever it is to because he, he could still remain alive right the script mentions that it was a frozen dwarf star or a cold red dwarf or a cold star with these cold ice worlds circulating it so my guess is he was always cold right that's my interpretation and i mean if uh if Bellas was 16 when she was under uh took up kane sovereign and she's 34 33 now so what 18 20 years i i suppose he could have gotten more frozen then but yeah it doesn't seem and when does his wife die his wife died Three thousand years ago, and he's only just got round to building a statue of her. Uh, well, you know, it's hard to find quality artists if you are going to kill them. I did like, I did actually like the artist. He was very artistic. He had a big beard, <laughs> and even though he's actually an ice sculptor, he was had a smock on, all covered with paint. Yes. So presumably, he'd also been doing some painting somewhere else mm-hmm. in the freezer center. Maybe he's the, maybe he was like the guy who just does the paintings around the place. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so there you go. That is Dragonfire. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an, in, it's an inauspicious. Yeah, exactly. Exactly what yeah, I was going to say. Exactly what I was going to say. Inauspicious. Yeah. The augurs are not good. Mm-hmm. They are. They are inauspicious augurs. But Michael Grade gave it a go ahead for another season, so he must have saw something good in Ace. Let's uh, let's leave it with that. Yep. Yeah, or maybe I don't know. He was just in a good mood that day, and we're like, okay, just let him make it. Jeez, I don't care. He was beaten down. Yep. Beaten down by the complaining that we've been doing. You know what it is. He was a big fan of uh, Tony Selby in The Good Life, and oh. 
by just by luck casting him right bringing back Sablon glitz yep yep that was it that was it save doctor who for another series more glitz Mm -hmm. more glitz (laughs) (laughs) just glitz simply glitz right okay so next week is remembrance of the daleks Ooh. And uh Chunky Gilmore, right. <laughs> well has a yeah. has another little girl in it. So we will see if there's any Yes, that was the other thing it was that was reminding me of actually. It was the little girl from Remembrance. Yeah. 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 So we we'll Ooh. see how Ace does and Sophie Eldritch does as an actor in that next week. Yes. So until then, I have been talking with Ben. I have been talking with David. And thanks for listening. You are very welcome. Good night. <laughs> Next time on the Metabulous 2 Podcast. Small, human, female, sighted on level 3. What are you calling small? Under a tree, under a tree. Ben and David flash back to Remembrance of the Daleks. <laughs>